0: Good morning, greater all. How's everybody doing today? We are in the middle of talking about really living. That's the name of the series that I'm doing right now. It's a four-part series. This is week two. And we are talking about the resurrection and the significance of the resurrection and what that means. I began last week talking about the significance and I'm going to continue this week talking again about the significance of it because there is just so much there. There. And Tim asked me to do four weeks instead of three weeks. And this is how I came up with the fourth week. Uh, Just being honest. Just being honest. But guys, it is the truth of the matter. When you look at the resurrection and you start digging down on it, there is so much there. Historically for me, and I believe I see this in a lot of other followers of Jesus, the resurrection just doesn't get much attention. Until somebody challenges it and say Jesus didn't really rise from the dead, and then we go up on the shelf and we dust off our why we believe Jesus really actually physically rose from the dead, and, the, and the, the apologetics information that says this is why we believe that, and then we put it back on the shelf until somebody else asks the questions. And we never notice that it's so much bigger than that. I talked a little bit last week about how I believe we focused more on Jesus' death And the forgiveness of sins that it's provided, and that needs the amount of attention it's got. But I believe the resurrection is equally as important. But we tend to focus on his death and the forgiveness of sins, as opposed to the resurrection, or leave out the resurrection and what also it means. Guys, the the resurrection is central to the gospel. This isn't in your notes, but in 2 Timothy chapter 2, and verse 8, the Apostle Paul says this, Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel. Boy, that's a short version of the gospel, isn't it? Three sentences, three phrases. He whittles it down, and I know you can you can expound upon that. Descended from David, he was the promised Messiah. He is the promised King. He is reigning now. You can expand upon that, but when Paul whittles it down... To bullet points, he includes the resurrection as one of the main things that he starts with and then expounds upon. And guys, I, I again ask, how much do we talk about the resurrection? How much do we think about it? I watched a video this week, and uh, I'm sorry, I, I can get it linked on the website after this. I failed to get that done this week, but it says, in, in, the, in this video, and it's a short one, it's like two minutes and uh, it's an author, a preacher. And he says, you take away the resurrection of Jesus and all of Christianity falls. That's pretty significant. That's kind of a big deal. And guys, it's like we've, we need to not only be aware of it, but what we do with that. And uh, what I want to do today, I'd like to start in Luke 24... Uh, we are going to begin reading down around verse 13. It will be on the screen. It's not in your notes. It will be in the online notes, uh, I'm told, and I trust Tom on that. Uh, but I would like to read this. And in, in the notes, I've just got a few verses there, and I thought instead of just telling you the story like I like to do and encouraging you to go back and check it out yourself, we're, we want to read the whole story today and then go back and talk about it a little bit. But what's going on here, as you'll see, is uh, This is following Jesus' death. It is following His resurrection. And word is starting to get out that Jesus' body is not there. And people are starting to wonder what's going on. Let's read. Begin in verse 13. It says, Now that same day two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other... Jesus himself came up and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked? About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was going to be the one to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. I'm not sure what you make of that. Okay. Some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it was just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, How foolish you are and slow to believe, all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter His glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, He explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning Himself. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if He was going farther. But they urged Him strongly, Stay with us! They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with him, assembled together. And saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what had happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. While they were still talking about this, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. They were startled and frightened, thinking they saw a ghost. He said to them, Why are you troubled? And why do doubts rise in your minds? Look at my hands and feet. It is I myself. Touch me and see. A ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and feet. And while they still did not believe it, because of joy... And amazement, he asked them, do you have anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of broiled fish and he took it and ate it in their presence. He said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you. Everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. Then he opened their minds so that they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written, the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in His name to all nations, beginning in Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my Father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Guys, amazing story. So much in there. Okay, I love the fact that it's just not about the resurrection, though that seems to be the main point, okay, but it's not he He says he explained everything about the Messiah to them, beginning with Moses and the prophets and the rest of the scriptures, including psalms. Psalms is just supposed to make you feel good, isn't it? Apparently, there's some facts in there, but guys, there's two passages that I loved, and those are the ones that are in your notes um and what they had to say is we're you know. The first group, when he was talking with those two guys and he 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 hadn't revealed himself to them yet, they didn't know it was Jesus, until they broke bread. And it says, then their eyes were opened. And then when he was with the the rest of the disciples, including the eleven, and he's telling them, this is what I told you, it says, then he opened their minds so they could understand the Scriptures. See, guys, it's just amazing to me that these individuals had spent so much time with Jesus. He had told them so many things about what was going to happen. And to the point where he said, why are you so slow to believe? And yet then they had their minds open. Guys, I don't understand what that barrier is. I don't understand why there was a block. But can I tell you, I understand having a block. Anybody else with me? Where all of a sudden something, a light bulb goes off, a switch gets flipped, and then you see things more clearly? I believe that's what the resurrection does. It's done for me, as it, and, and that's what I hope it does for you. So we're going to just talk about three other things, significant facts of the resurrection um, that we look into. As you see there in your notes, it says, When I let Jesus open my eyes about the resurrection, I'm choosing. We're going to be talking about making three choices here today. Okay, and let's look at those. The first one is, when I let Jesus open my eyes about the resurrection, I'm choosing to see what I hadn't considered. Guys, most of us think the way we think. We believe what we believe for a reason. And we don't see it as an obstacle sometimes, but it can be. I don't know, it stood out to me. I I tend to want to read the Bible... And put emphasis on things and, and emotion into it. Because I believe these things were said with emotion. Okay? But we don't know exactly what way. I mean, we're we're kind of reading into it when we do that. Uh, the words do kind of speak for themselves. But when Jesus spoke to them and said, How foolish you are and slow to believe all the prophets have spoken. How loud do you think his voice got? Maybe it got high-pitched. You know, to go, you know, maybe he did that. You know, act like he's pulling out his hair, like, how foolish you are. That seems very, very harsh. And when you dig down on this, I like to look at the Bible we read as a translation. It's been translated into English. It's been translated out of Koine Greek. And it's very good for the most part. But sometimes it's good to go back and look at what those words really mean and, uh You know, you can look at a word in Greek and it says, it gives you three other words that it could mean. And you go, okay, I kind of get that. Why is the best one? The translators choose what they feel is best for a number of reasons, but it's good to go back. I believe it expounds it and opens it up. And this word that's translated, foolish means unwise, inconsiderate, or unintelligent. Now, intelligence just has to do with how, quick we, how quickly we comprehend or understand something. A few years ago, I started coining a phrase. Uh, me and a friend of mine were working together. And I use it every now and then. It says, and it says, I'm not dumb, but I am slow. Okay, you can laugh, it's true. And I gladly say that. I don't feel like i I don't feel like I'm stupid. I'm ignorant sometimes of the facts, but I, I, I'll i get it. Just give me some time. This is what Jesus is saying. He says, you guys you are being foolish. You're inconsiderate. What does inconsiderate mean? You're not considering something. You're leaving something off the table. Jesus had talked very, what we think is very plainly, about being raised from the dead after three days. And when His body disappears from the grave after three days, we're like, oh... What happened? Hmm. This is a mystery. But guys, that's what happens, is that God opens our eyes to see more than what we would otherwise. My little phrase about I'm not dumb, but I am slow. Apparently, I'm not alone. Okay? The early follower... I'm just like an early Christian. I'm just like an early follower of Jesus. Seems like it was a normal thing there. But guys, when you dig down on it, and this is the thing that blew me away, is how much the Bible talks about resurrection and how, why, and and when you look at how much it talks about it, you understand the significance of it. Theologians look at the Old Testament and they see what are called types of resurrection. Okay? Where there is, it's not the exact same parallel as a dead body just getting up from the grave. But is a type of resurrection that points to the actual resurrection. And these stories are littered all through the Old Testament. This God is a God of resurrection. He takes things that are not and declares them as if they are. He takes things that are dead or non-existent or same as dead and brings about life. And you see that from the very beginning of creation... Where he brings the ground up, raises it up through the water. You see it in the stories of the Old Testament where uh, where children, where people are barren. Abraham and Sarah is the most most common one. Where at the age of uh, Abraham was 100 and Sarah was 90, they were barren. They had no children. God had promised them many children. They tried to figure out a workaround on their own that didn't work out so well. And God treats their dead bodies as if they're not dead and brings about life. That's happened other times in there. There's times where He actually rose up dead bodies. But guys, here's here's the really cool thing. In Job chapter 19, and this is what I find the oldest direct declaration of God bringing about resurrection. Now if you look at the book of Job, it is a very interesting book. And what's going on there? Bad things happen to Job. Lots of bad things. He's a very good guy. Bad things happen. And him and his friends are trying to figure out why it happened. And they're, put, they're, 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 they're testing their knowledge, their understanding. And, and Job can't explain it. He says, look, I'm a good guy. I have not done anything wrong. How can God bring about justice in this situation? When will I be be shown for who I was? Because everybody thinks I've done something bad because of all this bad stuff. And his conclusion is that there has to be a resurrection. Read this. Job 19, he says, But as for me, I know that my Redeemer lives, and He will stand upon the earth at last. And after my body has decayed, yet in my body I will see God. I will see him for myself. Yes, I will see him with my own eyes. I am overwhelmed at the thought. Guys, this just blows me away that the resurrection was understood by Job or the possibility. He concluded that it was a reality. He says, I am convinced that my Redeemer is going to live and I'm going to see him on this earth. And even though my body is decayed, I'm going to see him in this flesh. Does that kind of make it a big deal? The the whole Old Testament was looking for this. Hosea chapter 13 and verse 14. This is what it says. He says, I will deliver this people from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. Where, O death, are your plagues? Where, O grave, is your destruction? Destruction. You see, guys, when Jesus is opening their eyes, He's pointing back to these Old Testament Scriptures and many more, I'm sure, that we haven't looked at today. They are there. Again, I've listed some resources on the notes online. If you go to the church website and look at the notes, That you want to see what else it says. There's lots of places it says this. But, guys, what happens is Jesus opens my eyes to things I hadn't considered. And the first one that I didn't used to consider is, why the resurrection is such a big deal. Second thing, I will choose to have my beliefs challenged. I don't know if you noticed this or not. When he was talking with those first two fellers or individuals, I don't know if they were men or women. He asked them what they were discussing between themselves as they were walking along at first. <laughs> he says, are you the only one that doesn't know what's going on? I mean, he's talking to the guy who knows way more that's going on than they do. Now, that's, that's very comical to me. But what they do is they then tell him what they know about Jesus. What they believe about Jesus. Instead of expressing questions, they come telling what they know. And you see, guys, that is our human tendency. as As humans... <laughs> is to approach God with what we know. We approach God and say, I know you can do this. I know you don't want me to feel bad, God. God, you don't want me to be unhappy. You can't want me to be in these circumstances. And then we approach God like that. This is what they're doing. They're they're saying, this is what we know. You see, guys, that's the majority. I referenced the book of Job earlier, and I highly encourage that, including a link in next week's by a, a, a gentleman, who, an Old Testament scholar by the name of John Walton. Who did it? No, he wasn't from the mountain. Uh, but he does a fabulous job of talking about the book of Job. And he tells you that what's on trial, what's going on in the book of Job, is that Job and his friends are having a little trial of sorts. And it's not Job that's on trial. It's not God that's on trial. Not really. It's what's called the retribution principle. And what that is, is it says, the retribution principle, you probably have some version of it in your mind. And that is, if I'm a good person, good things are going to happen to me. And if if you're a bad person, bad things are going to happen to you. Okay? And we have a problem with that. Why? Because bad things do happen to good people, don't they? And good things do happen to bad people. And this is what Job and his friends are talking about. This retribution principle... And Job is the only one open enough to things to see it differently. That's what's going on in the book of Job. In fact, at the end of the book, God shows up and he talks to Job's three friends and goes, uh, you need to have Job pray for you all because he's the only one who is representing me more correctly. Job had his problem. Don't get me wrong. But guys, that's our thing, is we want to come to God with what we know, what we think. And that's what's going on in the book of Acts. They'd say that a lot. We know this. We know that. We know God's this way. And that's what you see going on here, guys. When, and what happens to these two individuals? Their eyes are opened. Jesus is explaining to them what they had missed, what they had overlooked, what they had not considered. And he's opening their eyes to it. Let's read this passage here in Colossians chapter 2. It says, In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith, in the working of God, who raised him from the dead guys first off very plainly again understanding the resurrection is understanding what went on at your baptism you see more happened at your baptism than just being dunked underwater and forgiven of your sins that's what he's talking about here okay what's this what's this putting off of the flesh well, it, it, and this is—I'm trying to get—I'm trying not to get too far ahead of myself. This is what I'm going to talk more in depth about next week. Okay, that our sinful nature is sometimes described as our flesh. That's what's going on here. That I can't explain it exactly, other than say, look, as long as we live in this fleshly body that we have right here, sin is very enticing to us. Okay, it appeals to us. In whatever form, whether it's whether it's uh, sexual lust, sexual desire, whether it's greed, whether it's lack of forgiveness, whether it's selfishness, it comes very naturally to us. When they're talking about the flesh, that's what they're saying. There's just this inborn natural desire. That's the significance of getting a new body at the resurrection because we lose this one. It's out of here. And that's a good thing. But he's saying what? We've put off the flesh. In fact, Jesus has has put it off. He refers to it as a, as a, Jesus circumcising our flesh. You know, it's putting it putting it aside. You see, when it talks about that, that blows me away. Why? Why do oh, well, Gary? Why are you talking about that? Well, you see, here's the thing. I think i just got to keep fighting temptation. Most of us tend to have, when it comes to our relationship with God, what I think, I believe we default to what I refer to as a legalistic, rules-based religion. Here's the rules. Do the right things. Don't do the wrong things. Okay? And that's what causes problems in our interpersonal relationships with each other. Because that's the way we think it should be. Where are the rules tell me to follow him. And God's going, that don't work. Look at this passage here later on in Colossians chapter 2. This is what it says, since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why as though you still belong to the world, do you still submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body. But they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Here's what he's saying, guys. You're going back to your default setting. You're looking for rules to follow. You're looking for do the right thing. And the putting off of the flesh opens up a whole new opportunity. Again, we're going to get to it next week. It's talking about living as new creation. But if we're going to live as new creation and really live, we're going to have to let go. We're going to have to consider what we haven't considered. And that is, following rules isn't the way to follow God. You will obey some rules naturally by doing that. But there is a better way. As he was saying here, he goes, guys, it it looks good. Following rules looks good. But you need to consider something else. Just trying to follow rules lacks any value in restraining sensual indulgence. That's what it's saying. There's something more to it. So I ask you the question guys, are you open to that? Are you open to having your beliefs challenged? Because that's what the resurrection does as you dig on it, as you learn on it. <clears throat> Number three. Third thing I'm choosing when I let Jesus open my eyes about the resurrection is I'm choosing to double down on my faith. You see, guys, most of you are here right now, or have claimed to follow Jesus. Most of you in this room, I believe, have. You have a faith. The question is, how deep is your faith? How strong is your faith? How mature is your faith? You see, I've found in my life that I like to think I made it. Spiritual cruise control. I've done enough. I've learned enough. I've figured things out. I don't have to make decisions to use the right words. I don't have to make decisions to have the right feelings. I don't have to make decisions about how I'm representing God. I've arrived. And I can just coast. Yeah, that don't work. And you see, guys, I I, I find myself continually coming to this point where I have to say, do I really believe this? And if I really believe this, I need to live differently. I need to continue to grow. I need to continue to represent God more clearly in different ways than what I'm doing right now. You see, guys, doubling down means that you're taking a further risk in a situation or you're passionately recommitting one's efforts to a cause or course of action. Can you imagine the shift in the thinking of these disciples that has to take place? You see, they didn't think the Messiah should die. They didn't think He was going to resurrect from the dead. They just watched His opponents Crucify him, kill him. They watched him suffer before that crucifixion. They heard him tell them, you're going to suffer the same kind of things or greater. And now they've got to go out and tell people, yeah, not only did you kill him, but he rose from the dead. They're having to have a complete changeover in their thought process and they've got to go, we believed in Jesus and he's asking us to accept things and look, consider things we haven't considered before. The risk just went up. And guys, it did. It did very much so. Last week we looked at several passages where that was what they were persecuted for. Nobody was arrested for saying, hey, the Romans killed Jesus. (laughs) That was a fact. Jesus rose from the dead had greater implications. And so they were, guys, they were doubling down. It's one thing to have a king, guys. I mean, the idea of, in first century Judaism, of having this promised Messiah show up as king, kick the Romans' butt, okay, take control of this one world government, make everything right, they liked. They liked that. They went to sleep at night fantasizing about how it was going to be when the Messiah showed up. Imagine the change in their thought process. We believe Jesus is the Messiah. You know, He's killed and He's resurrected. Oh, He's not going to kick the Romans' butts today. And He expects us to go out and tell about Him and represent Him not by taking control, not by dominating. He's not—he's asking me to live right. He's not making everybody else live right. Do I want to do this or not? That's what I feel like they had to say. Is this really what I want? Look at this here in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, guys. This is the way Paul is talking. He's describing the Gospel. In verse 22, this is what he says. It says, Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. Guys, if the gospel, including the resurrection, was foolishness in the first century, what is it today? What is it today? What is it when we live in a world that says we need to follow science? Now please understand, I'm not a science denier. Okay? I happen to like science. I recognize and appreciate, you know, the technological advances and the medical advances that we take, take advantage of every day of our lives to make our lives better, easier, longer. Okay? Okay? But I do not consider science the supreme authority. And that's what we're, we're, we're dealing with today. What do you think science says about Jesus being resurrected from the dead 2,000 years ago? Dead things don't come back to life. Dead things don't come back to life. That is a scientific fact. Okay? We cannot prove it. Scientifically. Now there is evidence. That's a whole nother, whole nother thing. But guys, science says no. So when we, as believers, say we believe that Jesus resurrected from the dead and there will be a resurrection, we're distancing ourselves from what the world thinks. Okay, we're doubling down on our faith. We're doubling down on what the Bible says. You see guys, I've spoke about this before. There's been, there's been small movements among churches for years where that, you know, this church doesn't believe in, uh, the resurrection. They believe it's, it's, it's a spiritual resurrection. And then this church thinks that homosexuality was okay. And then this church, and it goes on and on. And these different uh, beliefs come up. And now today they've, they've, they've morphed into what's called the progressive Christianity movement. It's out there. You've heard me talk about it. And guys, one of their tenets is that science is the supreme authority. They don't necessarily state it that plainly, but that's what it is. Jesus' dead body raised from the dead. No, that was that was just a spiritual. He's, they're talking about a spiritual resurrection. They're talking about yeah, his spirit left and went to heaven. We don't know what happened to the body. Blah blah blah. It's a mystery. You know, it's, it's like where COVID started. Okay, it's a mystery. Guys, when we when we choose to believe in this and and the implications, you see, because what they're really saying is there's no spiritual realm. And all this we hear about in the Bible where people are believing that God is acting on their behalf, causing these miraculous things, whether it's a demon-possessed man to be healed or a dead body to be raised from the dead or the Red Sea parted. Those are just exaggerations and... A primitive people who have yet to evolve to where we are, okay? Primitive people's explanation of what they see going on around them. They're not liars. They're just not as advanced as we are. And you see, guys, to me, I I believe this with all my heart. Just like the, the preacher that I quoted earlier that Christianity falls apart without the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus. I believe it is also, unless it is central to our thoughts and central to our focus, we will drift back and be more and more and more like the world. And that's what I believe the progressive Christian movement is all about. Let's, let's just kind of be halfway. Jesus is a good moral teacher. Okay, those miracles didn't really happen. Oh, we like love. Love is great. We think that'll solve all the problems. If everybody will just love. But now there's that. Let's do it. Let's go back. Just a quick note, didn't know if I want to talk about this or not. Quick note when it comes to science and science not being the supreme authority. There is a tendency in our world today to say it's science. It's fact. There's something you need to know about science. There's a website out there called Retraction Watch. In the world of science and academia, the holy grail for PhDs and PhD students is to be published. And what they do is they do some research. They write up a paper. That paper is reviewed by peers, meaning equally intelligent and educated people. And they look at it and they go, yep, sounds reasonable, let's publish it. And then somebody else can either take that and build on it, they can confirm it, you know, uh, it's out there. And we live in a world today where science just attacks as the supreme authority. This website, Retraction Watch, is about all these papers that have been written, and they have to be retracted now. Some of them decades ago, because you know what they're finding? Oh, he falsified the data. Oh, she stole the data. Guess what? Science is not near the fact that it makes it out to be. And so, guys, we we need to realize we're opposing like that. Let's look at this next passage here. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Again, guys, the whole chapter of 1 Corinthians 15, we could have used that as our theme passage for this lesson. Um, or these lessons, but I've picked a few verses out of here that, that, that talk about what I'm saying here. It says, And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, you are still in your sins. If only for this life, we have hope in Christ. We are, of all people, most To be pitied. You see guys, I started out this lesson quoting 2 Peter 2.8 and what Paul had to say about this is my gospel. And I want to read that to you and I want to read what he said after this. He says, remember Christ Jesus raised from the dead, descended from David, this is my gospel. For which I am suffering even to the point of being chained like a criminal. But God's word is not chained. Therefore I endure everything for the sake of the elect that they too may obtain the salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. Guys, that's pretty significant. He's, the resurrection is central to what Paul preaches for the gospel. And he believes it so much, he's willing to endure the hardship of being chained like a criminal and eventually put to death. History tells us he lived the last years as a criminal before finally being put to death. The resurrection was that central to what these people believed, what the early Christians believed. The question is, Will I choose to accept the significance of the resurrection and live my life in a new kind of way? See, that's what we're going to be talking about next week. Is how do we live this resurrection life? How do we live as new creation? Because I'm very excited to talk about it. But the challenge is because when we start living that way, guess what? You're doubling down on your faith. You're, du- you're doubling the risk. You're upping the risk. And guys, I encourage you to join us and to look at that. There's a communication card in your bulletin. Uh, we encourage you to fill that out. If you're visiting, we'd love to know you're here. Love to know your thoughts. If you have a special prayer request, you can put it down on there as well. Uh, let's pray and we'll be done. All right? I guess we won't be done. Let's come up and sing and then we'll be done. Father, it is so good to talk about the resurrection. It's so good to look at your word and to see it's not some crazy myth. It's not some crazy idea. It's the reality that you've given us. Father, you are the God of resurrection. You take things that are dead and make them alive. You you take things where there is no life and you bring about life. And this is what you've promised to us. I didn't talk about it hardly at all, but Father, the resurrection means that death has been defeated. Death was the curse that happened when Adam and Eve first sinned. And God, you've taken away its sting. By showing us beyond doubt that you are going to resurrect everyone at the end of time when Jesus comes back. Father, I pray you open our minds to want to know more, to dig down on this more. And Father, to understand what it means as we continue talking in the next few weeks. And it's in Jesus that we
1: pray. Amen. With all